Okay, everyone, thanks for listening to NYC. Be sure to catch us on your favorite platform of listening to podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and, Radio, and countless others. Very excited today to have an uh, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist here at the Orthopedic Specialist of Seattle, and he was voted Seattle's top doctor in 2019, Dr. Grant Garcia. Dr. Garcia, thank you for being with me. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm great. First off, um, I'm, I'm going to bring you back to your residency when you were doing orthopedic surgery. Uh, you attended the uh, Hospital for Special Surgery, right, in New York City? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. So my mother and my aunt used to work there, and uh, I used to work oh, wow. at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center right across the street along with my wife. And I actually had surgery on my wrist at a Hospital for Special Surgery. So bringing so in all the know New York that whole area. Yeah, it's exactly. A- well, and that's great. That's good to hear. Sounds like you had a good outcome. And yeah, I've worked at Sloan Kettering uh, before as well. But uh, hospital surgery is near and dear with uh, five years there. So, so as a residency, I don't know if you had a chance to ever get out of the hospital. We know how much uh, you guys work and how many hours you put in. But what was your experience being in New York? Uh, we loved it. Me and my family and I, uh, my wife, and we had our first daughter there at Cornell. Um, but we really liked New York. You know the fact you could get out and get a bite to eat, get your banking done, get your groceries done in about one block. Uh, so that was really kind of an interesting aspect of it. Plus the sort of hustle and bustle of New York City is nice. You know, I'm now, well, I'm, a, I'm a born Seattleite, so it's good to be back, but I definitely do miss certain aspects of New York City uh, and definitely enjoyed training there, getting to see sort of the, the top of the top uh, orthopedic surgeons and athletes. So. Yeah, so one of the, I mean, you have, wow, your your resume is extensive. Uh, you're the C- assistant team physician for the Bulls, the White Sox, and then during your residency, you also took care of players for the Giants and Mets and tennis and Rangers and Knicks and Nets. I, I mean, did we check off every single box and every single team there in New York? Yes, it, it, it was fortunate enough to have that experience to work with those type of athletes. So, you know, in New York, you know, hospital surgery is has probably the most professional sports teams uh, of any place in the world. So we took care of roughly eight, and that's not counting the numerous guys that flew in and gals that flew in um, every week for surgery. So we got to see some pretty high-level um, athletes uh, at that area. And then I got to have a similar experience uh, in fellowship with the Bulls um, and the White Sox. And then, you know, we had a number of guys there that are sort of the – creme de la creme in terms of sports surgeons so we got to have um athletes again flying in from all over so we had a pretty extensive experience which was really nice because it's a totally different aspect to take care of an athlete um with the agents um and different aspirations you know you get them back for one extra game that's a huge financial burden and huge financial improvement uh for the team uh and it's a totally different animal than saying you know recreational athlete well maybe we'll get you back in the year I mean, you you couldn't have said it uh, any clearer and better. I mean, there is an investment in these million-dollar athletes, and when they lose these athletes, whether it's a game or two or four games, or in Saquon Barkley's case, uh, for at least a year, um, it is detrimental to the athlete as far as his payday going forward and for the team investment as the Giants invested a second-round pick just a few years ago in Saquon Barkley, and now he's out with an ACL tear. Week two saw seven high-level athletes in the NFL, and they're all high-level, right? But high-level athletes uh, have ACL tears, including Saquon Barkley. Um, 
I just first off describe what ACL tear is before we kind of get into the minutia and and thoughts about uh, whether these tears have anything to do with a lack of preseason and and working out. Yeah. So uh, first off, ACL tears. Uh, so you got two major ligaments on the inside of your knee. Uh, one is the PCL, which you may have heard of and probably talked about less, and then you have the ACL, which stands for anterior cruciate ligament. Uh, but basically what it is is the ligament that sort of prevents your knee from shifting forward. It's also the most commonly torn ligament in your knee, and it's the one that oh, a fair number of athletes, it doesn't really matter what sport you play for the most part, um, is the one that's the major issue. And you also hear about it a lot because it's the long recovery. So it's, you know, like, you know, Saquon Barkley tears the ACL, everybody knows about it because it's a full year out. It's not like one of these partial injuries where you can come back from it very quickly. Um, but yeah, so it's the major ligament and in general, for the most part, if you tear it, it's not really repairable. So you have to have it reconstructed and it's one of the most, we do almost 400,000 of these a year. So it's pretty common. Wow. Why is this so common? Why why is this injury to the knee where we're kind of, you know, as a human, you know, we're used to running and jumping and, and doing these type of things. Why are we seeing uh, this type of injury, um, with these athletes? Well, you have the, in general, you know, you have a higher chance of it because it, it's the it's the major protector when you pivot. And so the faster that players get, they want to go faster. They want to shift out or they want to, they want to juke the other player in basketball. They want to be able to cut faster, try to get away. The number one restraint for that is your ACL. And so as a result, as a result the more higher exciting sports and the more higher excitement for a player, such as Saquon Barkley, who's very exciting to watch, is going to be more likely to tear his ACL than anything else. So along with the ACL, um, it's reported that he tore his meniscus and sprained his MCL. Um, what is the difference and what happens to the knee when you add those different elements as far as the recovery? Man, you couldn't lay that up better for me. That's exactly what I was going to talk about, sort of talking about the ACL injuries and how there's differences. So, you know, there, we'll, go, we'll go briefly into this, but, you know, there's ACL tears, and that's great. And those have their own recovery. When you add the meniscus, it changes a lot of things. One is question is what's going to ha- what are they going to do with it? So, you know, we do a lot of meniscus repairs, and that's to save the meniscus as much as we can, as we've seen some data showing that if we save the meniscus, it improves the overall outcome of the ACL because it's a secondary stabilizer. In him, I don't know exactly what type of meniscus tear uh, he had. My assumption is that he'll probably try to save it because usually it's a tear that can be fixed. And as a result, that will improve his chances of doing better later on. But when you add the meniscus, in, it does, it does hurt the overall outcome of the ACL. I prefer all my patients just had isolated ACLs because those patients tend to do better in a larger head-to-head trial. The MCL is really common. Again, you know, you can have a, uh, the MCL sprain, 90% of those, high, even higher than that, generally don't need anything surgical. That's sort of a minutia thing, but, you know, you've had Steph Curry that had it and was out for six weeks with no surgery. So we generally, we don't ignore the MCL, but we know that almost all of them heal without surgery. So the biggest thing for me hearing what you just told me and hearing that information is just the meniscus and how they're going to treat it. Now, what, what is one of the concerns uh, with the meniscus? Is it something that you're looking to heal it, or is it something that when you go into the knee and you evaluate, do you have to actually consider whether to remove it uh, depending on the severity? That's absolutely true. Yeah, there's certain parts of the meniscus you can just trim out. 
Um, it makes it a little simpler for the patient, but obviously we care more about the long-term outcomes for the players. Uh, and by long-term, I mean year two, three along, because he's still young. And then, you know, my, my younger patients too. Uh, so it just sort of depends on severity and depends on where it tears, because the meniscus has a blood supply, but it doesn't extend the whole meniscus. So if you tear sort of the periphery, sort of the little end, if you look at the meniscus, the way it's shaped, generally those need to be cut out. But if you tear it more at the capsule, which I tend to see a lot more with my younger high-level athletes, and I'm assuming that Barkley probably has something similar to this, mm-hmm. those tend to be more amenable to fixing. It's, uh, it, it is is quite interesting, the the way everything works and, and just the type of um, – situation that now the athlete is put into um currently there are 27 nfl players out with acl injuries and we haven't gotten into week four now some of these injuries were coming into the season or happened beforehand and during but that is a high number of level of uh, players that have acl injuries um my question to you is we didn't have any preseason games, right? And they kind of ramped up. They were doing a lot of their training via Zoom, like the rest of the world and the rest of us. We, you know, uh, my daughter's getting uh, looking into braces, and I'm at home taking pictures and sending it to the doctor because we're no longer going in for evaluation. So we're living in a whole yeah. new 2020 kind of experience. But you think there's, and obviously this is opinionated, um, any thought process as far as not getting. Uh, the preseason games and getting the full contact uh, during camp that we're used to seeing from these players that that can lead to possibly these injuries. I could agree with you more. I mean, this uptick in injuries is is very correlated with the lack of preseason, the lack of games. I mean, the NFL players were on Zoom calls and they were doing, you know, there was no, you know, most of these players were trying to find hidden gyms or flying to other states that were allowing more open options than others. Um, you know, Seattle here where we're at is, was pretty strict, and so the players weren't even allowed to go back to the VMAC uh, for a, a number of months. And as a result, that's just a start. And then you have sort of more restrictions that happen during COVID with masks and how they have to be separated from each other. There's just no way they can simulate the amount of preparation in terms of the physical conditioning that they did before. And you're talking about you need, you know, five three or four months to sort of ramping up physical activity to get you ready for the NFL. Then you don't have simulation of big hits because you can't hit each other Mm -hmm. because you're worried about COVID stuff. Um, And that's another problem. And then obviously we want to get back as soon as we want it. NFL wants this thing started right off the bat. And as a result, you do put, you rush it too much. It's, you know, it's the unfortunate nature that all sports are going to be like this for this, this year. Um, And then, you know, that after that, they have these high risk of injuries. So I, I, 100% 100% agree and feel like this is going to be a problem that's going to continue on. I think you'll probably notice if you were to sort of trend it out that by, you know, six, seven, eight weeks out, you'll probably see a normal amount of injuries. But there's no there's no doubt in my mind that this higher number of in the beginning of the season is a, real, is a result of this. And it's something that we talked about as fans, right? You know, uh, you know, why do we want to watch these preseason games? They have four preseason games. They're usually really dull. You know, the starters play about a quarter uh, by week three. In the preseason, preseason week three, you know, you see them play about three quarters. They'll take that fourth week off. And as fans are like, oh, come on, you're killing us here. But now we're seeing that, you know, maybe there is something to those games as far as getting uh, the athlete prepared and especially the difference. And and hopefully you explain that to me a little bit clearer, the difference between being physically prepared uh, as far as fitness and being prepared to, to take hits and do those cuts and have that extra weight on you with those type of, you know, devastating collisions that we see in the sport of football. Yeah, I mean, overall it's important to 
you know, they can take, take care of the body, making sure you're getting um, evaluated, those type of things. I think we are seeing that the preseason games are necessary. Um, and it's unfortunate, too, because the other argument for preseason games was people are more likely to get injured, so why would we have the best players get injured during yeah. preseason? Yeah. So now you're seeing the counter-argument. I think the issue is, I don't even know if it's the games themselves, the simulation. I think that's obviously important. But I think it's also the preparing for preseason. There was no preparing for mm-hmm. preseason. And as a result, everyone was just preparing for this deadline of game one. And so I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, and there's no one's going to, you can, this is like fighting about the, the simplest things. We're never going to come to a solution. What's the best option? Should we have two preseason games? Should we just do a longer season? All these other issues. And this is sort of a different, a different track we're going on in terms of talking about this. But I do think that having a preseason marker, even if it's two games, is better than nothing, which I think we're seeing now. Because we can't afford to have um, all these players getting injured. Uh, it's hard for the teams. There's a monetary loss, obviously, as well. And then it's hard for the fans because, you know, you have a team like the Giants that really need someone as good as Barkley, and they're out, and their rest of the season's looking frustrating right now. It brings up a concern. We just heard uh, this past week that the Pac-12 is coming back, right? And that affects us as far as here being on the West Coast and whether you're rooting for Washington or Stanford or whoever your team is. Um, they finally decided to come back and they're going to play seven games. I believe it's six regular games and probably the seventh as far as some kind of championship Pac-12 mm-hmm. game. But they're com- they're planning to kick off on November 6th, right? We have schools in California that not even open. Right. We, it's the same thing here with Washington, that they're about to re- get ready to get get themselves ready to play uh, a game in a, a little bit more than a month, in almost a month. Are you concerned as a doctor that these kids can possibly get hurt by trying to get themselves ready for a football season where normally you have months to get ready and you're trying to get this amped up and ready to play in one month? I'm very concerned. Uh, I think I predict there's going to be a higher rate of injuries. I mean, you're seeing NFL players that have personal trainers that can get gym access. High school players without, you know, just sort of the normal means of a regular person can't just sneak in and get a, a, two, a high level professional uh, trainer to help them get ready for the season. So there's going to be a, there's going to be a big uptick. I mean, I've noticed even my practice. I mean, I, I take care of a lot of baseball players and I've seen, I've done at least four or five Tommy John um, type surgeries and they haven't even started baseball yet wow. because they're throwing and they're deconditioned uh, and in one month. And I, that has happened without any games having actually started yet. So I am, I think this winter is going to be a unfortunate um, sports athlete injury season so that we haven't seen before. That that is that is just scary news because unlike professional athletes and uh, I'm I'm a little bit biased right um, you know my thought process is if you're a professional athlete and you want to go play and do what you got to do that's your livelihood and I just yeah. feel different about that when it comes to a high school or a college uh, player student athlete where there's risk right and we understand that whatever that low percentage is to move on to the pros but still there is a risk for that student athlete to get hurt and not be able to recover and it might affect their future if they go if there is going to be a future in sports agreed well and you also have the opportunity of scholarships too you know you get injured uh, and you're not able to go to the next you're not able to play the next season you get your scholarship taken away too so it is concerning it's unfortunately there's some i think there's some monetary incentive uh, to get back on the TV and those and TV rights and everything else. It's just, I hope that they've done, they're working on trying to find a way that we can simulate stuff faster and get these athletes to be a little bit more protected um, before they start. You know, again, like I think with, with the NFL, 
you know, after the first few games, I think you're going to notice that the rate's going to be relatively normal to what it was before. Uh, I just worry about the first few games for sure. Um, today, uh, NFLPA J.C. Treader, he's also the starting center on the Cleveland Browns, wrote, uh, quote unquote, the unforgiving nature of artificial turf compounds the grind on the body we already bear from playing a contact sport. NFL clubs should proactively change all field surfaces to natural grass. What are your thoughts on that statement there? That's been a concern for athletes, and I think there's some data that shows that that's true, that you know the simulated turf does increase the chances of injuries, especially with the cleats they're using. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm for it. Again, it's just, it's just again, you have to, you're fighting against the big, bad NFL, and if, they, if they're not going to go and change their thing, it's a lot more uptake to have grass, too. Uh, and there's certain stadiums that don't have the conditions to, that might be able to keep it nice uh, and flush like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's been an argument for high school, college, and now you know the professionals. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised that that's thing. I'm I'm all for reducing the injuries. If there's an easy way to do it by changing the turf, I think that's fair. So do you think there is some legitimacy uh, legitimacy uh, to um, grass and astral turf and and the way uh, your body reacts, whether it's cutting? I know Kyle Shanahan uh, two weeks ago when they played and uh, Bosa and Solomon had their ACL tears. They said that the players complained that the uh, field turf was spongy. And so I'm, I'm just trying to understand how the turf and the grass affect your body and your ligaments differently. And is it uh, something that giving or not giving it? Maybe you could explain that to me a little bit. So the way it works is the turf has less give. Uh, and as a result, you have a higher chance of your, your foot staying planted, which is not good, and your knee going the other direction. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's one of the major concerns with the turf. Uh, and there's been data that shows that. Um, and it's generally more, it's worse in sports where you require cleats uh, because you're going to have a, you're going to be able to dig in deeper and even in- accentuate that sort of lack of ability to twist your ankle and move your foot out of the way to go to go with the knee rather yeah. than have the knee go a different direction. Um, so I think it's a very fair statement. Unfortunately, you know, you have lots of people that play on turf that don't get injuries and it's a, you're talking about a whole stadium that's put in billions of dollars and had them change the whole thing again. You know, these turf fields aren't very, aren't very cheap. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess for the NFL, maybe they have enough money that could do it, but you know, you talk about high school teams, you know, my high school team uh, from Mercer Island, you know, they have a really nice turf field. I mean, trying to tell them to go switch to all grass where it requires maintenance all year round. I mean, that's a hard sell. Yeah. I don't think Bill Gates is going to cut a check for that. Maybe for science, but not the field. Turf. No. no. So, um, so let's talk about the recovery, right? And what what entails when you're having a, such an injury um, or sustain such an injury like an ACL tear? Uh, obviously, it, there's different things because you know you mentioned you know whether you, it's a torn meniscus or some other parameters. But let's let's just keep it to a basic ACL tear. What does that look like as far as a recovery process? Okay. Well, we could jump into the minutia too, but if you have a meniscus injury too, the recovery in the first six weeks is a little different, but overall it's the same sort of outcome okay. um, at a timeline. So it's, but it's fair to say that, and I, I like that you mentioned that. Um, but in the basic necessity, you know, these ACL tears, talking about young athletes, again, there's different types of graphs you can use, but talk about the high-level athletes. Usually they're in a brace for a few weeks. Again, most of the time they're able to walk right after the surgery. Um, and then immediately for those guys, they're starting some high-level conditioning. And they're just trying to not put any stress on the ACL, but keep their – the biggest thing is not to lose your quads. And so they're going to get as much work as they can on their quads. And there's this sort of not a, not even newer anymore because it's been here for a while called blood flow restriction. And a lot of the pro athletes do this. 
Um, and I actually have a, for most of my athletes, I've got, you know, select people in Seattle that I send them to, to do this. But what they do is they place a tourniquet on the leg. And then when they simulate it, let's say they're going to put 15 pounds on it. Uh, it's, it's five times that weight that they actually feel, even though they're not putting 50, that amount of weight in terms of stress on their knee. So you got a 10 pound weight on your leg. It feels like 50. And, and that's just to, so that's to how strengthen you can stay the stronger, quad? faster. It's a strength in the quad. You can do it for all muscles. Um, I've done it. I've even done it myself to sort of test it out. It's pretty impressive. I mean, you feel like you're getting, you feel like you've worked out for an hour and a half when you've done only 10 minutes of work. Wow. That, so what, what is the importance of the quad to the knee and how that helps it heal? Well, so you want to have your quads be similar because you need to have secondary stabilizers. I mean, your graft is good, but if you just literally had no muscle mass around your knee and you reconstructed the ACL, it would tear automatically. Oh, wow. So you have to condition yourself. You want to make your knee the same as the other knee because the other knee has the same restraints. I mean, the, the grafts we're putting in are technically, at least most of the grafts are put, we're putting in are technically stronger biomechanically than your original ACL as long as it's put in the proper way. And so you have, but you, the, the, where the, where the problem is, is you don't have your, your leg is not the same. So we have like a functional sports test. So let's say, you know, for some of these high level athletes, you talk about seven, you know, unless you're Adrian Peterson, but for the most part, seven, eight, nine months in, you start doing some functional sports testing. And when you're one side is 90% of the other side, that's when you start talking about going back to sports. And so it's important that that percentage is the quad, the way you move, et cetera. And that's why those are all important. You've got to have those secondary stabilizers. The quad is really important is also the hamstring because you can actually, the hamstring is one of the number one ways to prevent an ACL injury is by having strong hamstrings. That's why I think someone like Saquon is going to do great because he's got some of the strongest hamstrings in the NFL. Yeah, his legs are ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned Adrian Peterson because he's a freak, and I believe he started training. Everyone like always three, talks about that. Like three yeah. weeks after his ACL, he was already training with uh, James Cooper uh, out there in Minnesota. So that is uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that's that's not advice that you would tell a, a normal human being to get out there in, after no. three weeks, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it sets the bar a little high for people when they come in and think that that's the way their ACL recoveries are going to go. I mean, I've had some patients that have done very well. You're talking about, you know, six months back to sports. That is very unusual. Uh, and, you know, each person's different. There's certain the people that I see that are really jump quickly, uh, for the most part, are the ones that come in, you know, they've, they've got these huge quads, huge hamstrings. They look like they could basically, you know, bench press a car or squat a car. Yeah. And those are the ones you're like, okay, this one's going to be a little bit easier sort of recovery. So I do think Saquon's an advantage there, but again, it's the human body. We don't know other things. We don't have the, we didn't actually see the MRI. We don't know if there's a cartilage injury or how bad his meniscus is. So that has to be adjusted too. Uh, and so you can only predict so much. And also he hasn't gotten surgery at this point. Can you explain to, uh, to our listeners why you're not having that surgery right away? And why do you have to wait for that ACL uh, surgery? So, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. We don't know the one. Uh, first off, I tend not to do surgery on patients of acute injuries right away because there's some data that shows they can get really stiff. So you really want your pre-surgery motion to be what you'd want afterwards. So let's say he's stuck and he can only bend his knee, you know, 20%. I want him to be almost pain-free, bending his knee completely normal, which a guy like that, he can probably be there in a few weeks. The second reason, and the reason he's probably waiting is not that. He's probably getting other opinions, mm. and he's probably calling, flying around the United States. I mean, these guys we would see in New York, Chicago, even here in Seattle, they'll fly and see six people before they get it done. 
So it, that's also probably the ones. I mean, the guys that he works with, the team doctor, uh, Scott Rodeo is great. I worked with him in HSS. Um, and the doctors and Russ Warren is the sort of former doctor, usually do the surgeries on the players, especially like him. But even at HSS, they're still probably going to get a second opinion, especially someone like Saquon. If it was one of the other players, maybe not a starter, uh, they might just go straight up to the New York guys. But when you have a contract with him, a potential of multi-million dollars, and if he doesn't get back, that's a big deal. They're going to get seven opinions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his agent called everybody, right, to make sure that they're getting... Uh, immediately. I mean, I probably know six of the guys they called, and they were probably their phones were blowing up to say, you know, they'll get, they'll, they'll, three or four will see him probably. They'll fly out to see him, and then, you know, three more will just do visual sort of on the phone being like, yeah, I think it's the right opinion. I think that's good. I think that's good. And in the end, unfortunately, it can be a little confusing. ACLs are more straightforward, but you can have, you know, there's a, there's a problem with too many opinions also. <laughs> Yeah, like like anything, right? You start hearing all these different opinions, and you know you kind of get back to um, you know I'm I'm more confused about what it is. But I guess if everybody has a similar opinion, then it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable about going through uh, any kind of procedure, right? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you ask your these are nuances to surgeries, and you have a meniscus tear that changes things. And there's yeah. going to be certain people that are going to recommend certain directions and timing and everything else. For the most part, though, on something like this, I have a feeling that if you called, you know, six, 17 doctors, you'd probably get a very strong sort of direction you'd have to go. Um, there's other things that are in, in sports medicine that we deal with that it's not so clear cut. Uh, but the data on this one's pretty straightforward. So I, I, I'm going to let you go soon. I, I appreciate all your time. I know you're a very busy, uh, a busy man. Um, just some advice, whether it's uh, high school athletes or you know kids going into college, some of the strength training that they can focus on to strengthen the stabilizers, strengthen that need to maybe prevent some of these injuries, whether it's football, soccer, or basketball, or anything like that. I know some things are unavoidable, but you know some of your thoughts on you know, how these athletes could get themselves at least uh, physically ready for the rigors of sport? Uh, that's a good question. And there's been a number of papers and data on this. There is ways to prevent ACL injuries. We can cut them, you know, and it's more commonly actually seen in females because of the way they land um, with their knees. Uh, there's some data to show that, but basically the biggest thing is conditioning especially leg conditioning, keeping the hamstrings, the quads strong. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, we talked about this before, but simulation of game settings. So when you're ready for that sort of next level, you're simulating the high intensity. You can never really simulate it until you're, in the, you're doing that, but it's always good for that. Landing techniques are really important. So making sure that when you're landing, you're not, you're, your knee's not going in different directions. Hmm. It's landing strong. You're staying, you're keeping your alignment good. Um, and those are the major things. But it's, it's conditioning, and it's someone really watching you. You need, it's something like every sport. You need someone to be visually watching the way you're doing things, at least in certain levels to make sure your form is good. Because bad form in everything is not good. Dr. Garcia, I really appreciate your time today. I hope I could bring you on to discuss uh, other things. I'm a huge baseball fan, and we see uh, you know, these Tommy John surgeries, and, and we see everything that happens at the high school level. I, you know, just, uh, I remember when my son was playing baseball, and I'm seeing parents telling their kids to throw curveballs at 10, 11, 12 years old, and it was driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to have a conversation another day about the rigors of sport and uh, the type of damage that... Uh, your elbow and arm and shoulder could go through if you start doing things at an early age. So, uh, once again, I I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Always happy to talk about it. I love this stuff. My job, uh, best (laughs) job in the world. So, uh, anytime you want me to talk about baseball stuff is 
uh, my thing too with the Tommy John. So I'm, I'm always happy to chat. So thank I you love for having it. me. Thank you, uh, Dr. Grant Garcia, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. He's at the Orthopedic Specialist of Seattle and he's uh, voted Seattle's top doctor in 2019. Please uh, check him out. And I appreciate your time. Dr. Garcia, have a great day. Thank you.